Morning. Uh, my name is Mark, and I'm a 49ers fan. <laughs> Just get it out of the way. Come on. <sighs> Man, every time we make the Super Bowl, well, the last couple times, why do we got to play the darn Chiefs? Man. I'm toast either way. Either the 49ers win, and none of you want to see me, or the Chiefs win, and I don't want to see any of y'all, so... Either way, it's a bad deal uh, for me. I'd like to play literally any other team in the whole NFL, but here we are. Hey, you've been hit with a lot the last month or so if you've been around here. Uh, we talked about like this whole multiply kind of endeavor that our church is going to go through to plant churches. You heard Nikki talk about it a bit uh, earlier, and there's just a lot of changes, a lot of stuff going on as we do that, specifically that uh, Tara and I will be heading into that uh, in the next handful of months ahead. So Pastor Tim, a couple of months ago, kind of anticipated on the backside of that series, he said, hey, would you like to stand, uh, would you like to uh, preach on February 4th and kind of just give some vision for that and talk through that? I said, I would not like to do that. Uh, Not because I was being, you know, disobedient to my boss, but because let's just call it out, like not everybody's interested, right? So I want today to count for everybody. Uh, If that interests you, come to those vision meetings. If it doesn't interest you and Grace Point's like, you're locked in here forever, man, I've Support that. This is a great church. That's why you go here, right? So, like, be here, be here forever, and, and lock in and, you know, dive in and do all the things that Grace Point needs from you in order to do that. But I want today to be for everybody. So, uh, I want to just talk for a little bit about this idea of together, because while our churches will be kind of moving different directions, we are the body of Christ together in Topeka. So, um, hey, uh, do you remember like 25 years ago or so, and long before that, and even for some of you after that, when phones used to hang on the wall? <laughs> who still has one doing, who still has a phone hanging on their wall right now? Yeah, they're like, right? Bunch of old fogies, you. Uh, my family had a phone hanging on the wall, and I remember trying to talk to my girlfriend on it when, like late at night when I probably shouldn't have been, but there was no way to hide because you had to be where the phone was on the wall, right? So... Uh, and you can only go like 10 feet from it because that's how long the cord was. And it was always tangled. But phones used to be on the wall. And it's so different now, right? Like now you can talk to anybody you want, anywhere you want, whether they're 10 feet away from you or 10,000 miles away from you. You can talk to anybody. You have access to speak to anybody anywhere. Isn't it fascinating? I mean, I'm, like, I've mostly had this technology a good portion of my life, and it's still... Still fascinates me. Here's some stats. I'm kind of a stats guy. I think they're fascinating. I think they're interesting. I think they're informative. And they, I just kind of, kind of find myself liking stats. Here's some stats about phones. 47% of Americans consider themselves addicted to their phones. That's just those of us that admit it, right? 53% have never spent a 24-hour period away from their phone. That's pretty mind-blowing when you consider that, you know, a lot of that, gener- you know, the generation that were kids now, they've never seen a day. You know, they've never even had life without their phones. So uh, 71% say they look at their phone within the first 10 minutes of the day. I'm one of those. Nobody asked me, by the way, but I'm one of those. Uh, the average American spends three hours a day on their phone, which translates to 44 days a year. I have a 16-year-old. She's an overachiever, let me tell you. So it's kind of interesting, like, to, to even call this thing a phone honestly seems kind of silly. It actually might be my least used app, the phone part of my phone, right? Like, it's, I do a lot of things on my phone besides just talking on my phone. In fact, a lot of us don't even want to talk on our phones, we're honest, right? 
I saw some cool memes, and I'm not going to put them on the screen because uh, there's some copyright issues with it, but I, I saw some cool memes this week. Uh, one was this. It was this gal staring at her phone, and it was just right in front of her face, and it says, me staring at my phone uh, while waiting for it to be done ringing so I can text them and see what they wanted. <laughs> and this one was pretty good, too. There's this, this, guy, and, uh, this guy, and it just said, the best time to call me is text message. So I heard, a, I heard a comedian say that, uh, you know, calling this a phone is sort of like calling a Lamborghini a cup holder. I mean, it does that, right? It has that function, but I mean, there's so much more. And that's frankly why we're so connected to them. I mean, they do all kinds of stuff for us. So like, I'm not here to tell you your phone's bad. Like I use my phone every day. I think it'd be a rough, you know, day without it, right? But so I'm not here to say, hey, come on, Christ, follow or get rid of those phones. That's not, that's not my point. But here's the problem. Here's the rub. You can be accessible but not actually available. Think about it for a second. Like we're accessible all the time, but are we actually available? Uh, Because like I believe, like I totally believe this, like deep down inside our core, you and I were created and designed for meaningful connection with God and with his people, with, with people he created, right? So I believe that to be the case. Have you heard it around here before? I've preached on this before. Tim's preached. We've, we've talked about this a lot. There are 59 one another's in the New Testament. And I'm certain that we weren't intended to live out those one another's on screens. Like I know it because the Bible, when it was written, didn't have screens. Now, this isn't me saying screens are bad. Like, listen, it's created a lot of avenues for us to connect with each other because we have screens. There are great benefits. I'm not, I'm not trying to deny that or dismiss that. There are some of you joining us today, like online, able to tune into this because there's a screen in front of you because we have the technology to do this. That's not, that's not my point. My point is, though, that there is something to being together. There is something to personal, relational connectedness and intimacy with the Father and with one another. So one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, and it says this, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And don't miss that last part. It doesn't just happen automatically. It doesn't happen because you come to church. It doesn't happen because you sing the songs. It doesn't happen because fill in the blank. It happens with intentional work. Each part has to do is work. You and I, the body of Christ, were created for a specific purpose within the body of Christ to do the work of Christ in our context for connectedness with each other. I believe that the Lord has called us into this idea of together. So Eugene Peterson, who's a pastor and author who I have admired for a long time, uh, said it like this. There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. There's this, this big difference between being accessible and being available, right? And I would agree, I would, I would argue that today, like more so than ever in history, like as a people, as a culture, that we're really lonely. We're lonely. We're lonelier than ever before. Here's some more statistics. I said I'm a statistics guy. I like using them. Uh, in 2022, it's been a couple of, a year or two ago now, they might be better now the further we are removed from uh, COVID, I would maybe think, or at least the height of COVID. Uh, so they might be a little bit better, but here's some statistics from the National Library of Medicine from 2022. 52% of Americans feel lonely. Uh, that's 73% for millennials. Whew. 47% of Americans report their relationships with others are not 
meaningful. 58% say that either sometimes or always they feel like uh, no one knows them well. Get this one. 25% of people said they have no one they consider a close friend. Not one. 25% of people. That's one in four people. One, two, three. Sorry, you're toast, right? One, two. I mean, do the, do the math. Like one in four people have nobody that they consider a close friend. Here's the most mind-blowing one of all to me. Loneliness is likely to increase your death by 26%, and it's as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Whew. So some of us are surprised by those stats, right? And some of us, we're not surprised at all because that's where we live. <laughs> we live on that block of loneliness, right? Some of us live that right here and right now. But here's what I really, really am desperate for you to know today. That's not the way God designed us. Intimacy with the Father really, truly matters. And intimacy with his people truly, truly matters. There's a, there was this TED Talk a handful of years ago that I found uh, this past week. And I would love to just show you the TED Talk, but again, there's some copyright reasons I can't, but I'm just going to kind of give you the, the general points of the TED Talk. TED Talks are fascinating to me. Uh, there's a Swiss researcher uh, named Johan Hari who gave a TED Talk, and it was actually about, uh, it was about addiction, and today's not about addiction, but there are some correlations here that I kind of want to just tap into uh, for a moment. This was done by a, he's referencing a study done by a professor in Vancouver in the 70s. Uh, and here's, here's the deal. They would take rats. They would take a single rat and put it in a cage. So uh, they put the rat in this cage, and at one end of the cage was water that was just regular good old H2O, regular drinking water. And at the other end of the cage, it looked identical, but it was actually heroin-laced water. They put the rat in there, and they just let the rat do its thing, and it would go for guess which one every time. The heroin-laced water every single time. They did it with a rat. He'd not just drink some of it. He'd actually overdose on it. And within moments later, he would, or hours or whatever, he would, that, I don't know why I assume every rat's a he, right? But he would die. This rat would just kill over. And they tried it with another rat, same thing. Tried it with another rat, same thing. Tried it with another rat, same thing. So they thought, okay, let's see if we can change this up a little bit. So they put multiple rats in there. And they put all kinds of stuff in there. They called it Rat Park. They put, they put cheese in there. They put lots of rats in there. They put, you know, uh, these, these fun balls to play with, these tunnels to go through. They kind of just made this Rat Park this fascinating place. But everything else, in terms of the water, the options were the same. At one end, just looked like it just did before. The other end, with the regular water. The other end, they had the, the heroin-laced water, just like it was before. And guess how many rats overdosed on that water now? Zero. Zero rats overdosed on the heroin-laced water. There was a couple that drank from it, but none of them did it compulsively, and none of them overdosed on it. A couple that drank from it, their surmise was that, you know, the other water was being hogged. <laughs> so they had to find some water somewhere else. So they went from, some, from a 100% overdose rate to 0% overdose rate when they realized, or when they, when they introduced them to connected lives with each other. Fascinating, isn't it? Now, that's rats. I mean, that's, that's rats. Like, you're thinking, okay, what does that have to do with the human experience? Well, I'm glad you asked, right? Because in that same time frame, in the 70s, there was another human, ex not an experiment, that would be a wrong, that would be a, a really lazy way to say this, but there was evidence of this within the, within the human experience that was showing the same thing. You know it as the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War, 20% of American soldiers were, were addicted to heroin. 
20%. So he had everybody back in America that was like waiting, like just like, it's kind of just standing guard, like, uh-oh, this is about to be a real disaster. We're going to have hundreds of thousands of junkies walk on the streets of the United States when they come back from the war. We are toast. And it made total sense. Now, those soldiers were now addicts, right? So they came home, and they were followed home. And the archives of general psychiatry did a really detailed study a research study on kind of what took place when they came back. And it turns out they didn't go into rehab. They didn't go into terrible withdrawal even, most of them. 95% of them just simply stopped. They just, they just stopped. Now, the conclusion of the experts and, the, and what was communicated in this TED Talk uh, kind of landed here, that human beings need to bond they need, they need to bond, and if they don't have connected, healthy relationships uh, and kinds of lives to bond uh, with, they'll bond with something unhealthy. And the final, like, drop the mic moment of this TED Talk, I love it, the way he finished his, like, talk and then kind of walked off the stage, he really literally should have dropped the mic, it was so good, was this, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. It's meaningful relationship. Now, what that means in terms of, like, drug and alcohol uh, counseling, those sorts of things. I don't know. That's way beyond my pay grade to understand, but I think there's something to it. All right. So you're thinking, okay, how do we how do we have meaningful relationship? Well, let's let's dive in. This is this is uh this is in Genesis chapter two, starting at verse 18. Pastor Tim's actually preached out of this message, not too out of this passage, not too long ago. But I'm just going to dive in. Here we go. This is starting at verse 18. It's on the screen. You can check it out in those phones. I'll slap you on the wrist for using it if you want to. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the Lord God said, "It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him." Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. He must have got pretty bored by the time he got to flies, right? Just name them whatever they did. Uh, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So right from the get-go, at the very beginning of creation, we see that humans were not meant to be alone. See, up until this point in creation, everything he created, he went, yeah, that was good. Nailed that one, right? Mountains, that was a good decision. Forests, those are good. You know, like, I, man, I, I did some great stuff. Yep, that was good. I saw that that was good. That was good. That was good. Then he sees man by himself, and he says, this is not so good. But God had a remedy for this. Here's verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. So yes, gals, men have been sleeping like rocks since the beginning of time. <laughs> we come by it honestly. It's just the way it is. Uh, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, for she was taken out of man. Now, what I love about this, and I don't have great like uh, insight into this. I'm going to take experts' words for it because I am not a Hebrew expert, but this is actually a song or a poem. Like Adam's response to this was a song or a poem. This response that like God had to this loneliness dilemma being fixed, Adam's response was a, was, was a song or a poem. And all throughout scripture, we see that God is a good provider and gives good gifts to his kids. And Adam's response, the very first human response to the goodness of God displayed in addressing our need for human connectedness and relationship is gratitude through this song. Isn't that fascinating? 
And I don't think this passage is like solely about like husbands and wives. I mean, I think that's centrally a part of this for sure. I think it has a big place in this, but I think like in a more like even like rudimentary level, it's kind of just like our human need simply to know and to be known. In the context of the church, you've heard your pastor, Pastor Tim, who's gone today, we'll be back here next week to start a new series, uh, say it like this a lot. It's not that, it's not, and I'll be stealing this language probably when I go lead a new church. It's not that everyone knows everyone. It's that everyone can be known. That's kind of the goal relationally within Grace Point. Let's keep going. Here's verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame, like no shame, totally unblemished vulnerability. This is what I think God has wired all of us for. And not just connection with each other, by the way, but also connection to the Father himself. This knowing and being known is both vertical and horizontal. Jesus showed us a pretty good picture of that. For Adam and Eve, though, that intimacy was pretty quickly severed. Here we go. I'm going to slide over to chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Now notice, this didn't start with an argument. I mean, there wasn't any arguing happening. It started with a simple like suggestion by the snake. He very subtly asked a question that I still think is being whispered to so many of us today. Did God really say? I mean, did God really say that? Listen, I don't actually think the temptation was the apple. You ever been tempted by an apple? I don't think it had to do with the fruit, right? I think the temptation was to disbelieve God's goodness. Now, I'll paraphrase the next couple of verses. What happens is Eve has this exchange with the snake. The snake gets Eve, Eve to, you know, eventually eat that apple. She gives Adam a bite of that apple, and now they've butchered this mess, and here's where we pick up uh, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Let's be honest, God already knew, right? I don't think it probably was meant to just be a literal where are you. I think it was probably more like, hey, why have you made yourself unavailable to me? They answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So these humans, right, these first humans in the whole universe uh, were not just created for like, intimate connection with one another, though they were, but also with God. And now they're filled with shame, so what do they do? They hid. They hid. And just like that, they move from walking with to hiding from. And I think many of us have been hiding ever since. I think so many of us have been hiding ever since. And we feel this shame and we tend to like just kind of, you know, head for cover. There are a lot of different ways we can hide. And here's some, here's some options, right? For some of us, it's achievement. Like we hide behind the accolades, the awards, the plaques on the wall. We, achievement kind of gives us some cover, right? For some of us, it's humor. This one would be me. I hide behind humor, right? Sarcasm. Like we get too close to something and you just kind of got to pop in something funny to make sure we're not, we're not too close, too intimate. That's, that's what I hide uh, behind. For some of us, it's distance, right? Like it's, uh, it's simply shutting off emotionally or even just physical distance, right? We, we hide with, with distance. This is a lot of us in America. Hurry. 
There's always some place to be, always something to do. There's, there's an easy way to hide. We don't want to be too exposed, so we, we hurry. Here's one. How about religion? That one hits different, doesn't it? I've heard it said that religion is one of the safest places to hide from God. And some of us were like really, really blunt. If this one hits home for us, like we use religion to you know, play church. We speak the language when we're at church and we speak the language of those we come in contact with when we're away from church that are you know, people we go to church with. But we, 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 we keep people at arm's length because we speak it so well or we try to you know, play the, the part really well. We say the right things around the right people so that they just don't get really you know, too close. So how do we start connecting in the way that we were meant to? I mean, really, that's, that's kind of preaching 101, right? Preaching 101 is, hey, identify the human need. Let's see what the Bible says about the need. Let's compel people to apply that to their lives. That's kind of preaching 101. How do we start connecting in the way that we were meant to? Well, first of all, we have to stop hiding. And in order to stop hiding, the on-ramp to connection is vulnerability. And vulnerability is kind of hard. And we resist vulnerability for all kinds of reasons. I love what Brene Brown says. Vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is hard. Vulnerability, though, might be the birthplace of every single amazing emotion that the Lord has put in us. Love, joy, you know, our feelings of belonging, like so much good stuff starts with vulnerability. Intimacy with the Father counts. The best way to love is to be vulnerable. The best and only way to love is to be vulnerable. So we have to stop hiding behind, you know, achievements and humor and, and, and hurry and all those things. We have to do that stuff. I mean, really, if you're honest with yourself, isn't it exhausting anyways? It's just not the kind of life that we were designed for. So I get it. You're still thinking. You're still thinking. Okay, good. We got it. We got it. You think we should do this, but how do we do it? Well, how about we start with prayer? <laughs> it's generally a good place to start. It's generally a pretty good strategy. And you're thinking, yeah, that's fine, but really, I don't really have a desire to be vulnerable or to be honest with the Father. Well, that's, I get that that's where you're at, but the reality is he has that desire for you. So maybe your prayer should be, Lord, give me a heart to do that. But either way, I think we need to start to be uh, in prayer about this kind of thing because he desires for us to be in intimate community with him and with his people. So I'll pray. We're gonna pray here in just a few minutes about what that looks like. We'll do that here real soon. But first, I wanna get back to our story. Adam and Eve's rebellion, right? God comes to the garden to clothe them. Interesting, right? I mean, the text says they clothe themselves and I understand that that's really like literally what happened. But I mean, it was God's provision, Right? Like, even in their disobedience, God gives them what they need. And the same is true for you and I. And all the ways that we messed up and hid, God draws near to us. He clothes us in Christ. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts this in his, church, in, his, in his letter to the church in Galatia. He says this, So in Christ Jesus, you all, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. When we were ashamed... Christ clothed us. Knowing that we are fully loved and fully accepted by God gives us the courage to be totally vulnerable with God and with each other. We don't have to hide. We have been clothed in Christ. We have been covered by Christ. So like this idea of, 
you know, like knowing that, that we could do nothing to clean ourselves up enough or to be successful enough or to, you know, to earn God's favor or affection because of anything that we've done. Like knowing it's a gift and knowing that God sees you the fullest and yet loves you the most. Like knowing that God knows the things of you, the things in you, the things that you've not said to another soul in this whole world, and yet he still loves you. Isn't that fascinating? Like, rest assured, God knows your stuff. Adam and Eve hid from God behind the very trees he created. He knows your stuff. He knows my stuff. And yet, there's nothing you can do today to make him love you less. And there's nothing you can do today to make him love you more. And he knows all this stuff. And what's, what's fascinating to me, he just loves you, I mean, with, without brim or bottom. But if we're going to like learn to be vulnerable like with each other, which I think he calls us into, we first have to learn to be vulnerable with God himself. And man, oh man, I pray, I pray this, that you may have the power together together to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He loved you to death, knowing you in the fullness of your sin, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So here's my question for you. When was the last time you had a real encounter with the Lord? like a real intimate encounter with Jesus because he already sees you. And for some of us, that's really scary. I get it. We want to cover up. But he doesn't need permission to see you. I mean, he already, he already sees you. Nothing is hidden uh, from him. Your heart is already accessible to him. But what I'm asking is, when was the last time you made your heart available to him? Because we can be accessible, but not available. And God in his very nature He's a God of community. He's a God of relationship. And whether it's through like a Grace Point small group or some other intentional discipleship uh, kind of a setting, right? Whether it's just you going to some friends and starting a sentence like this, hey, there's some things I need to tell you. I've been hiding. Or some other avenue. I don't know. Like I have, I have no idea what it is, but I think there's some steps for you to take today. And I think you should start to pray about it. I encourage you to start to practice some vulnerability because that's what the Lord desires of us. If you're not ready for that step yet, maybe you just simply pray to God and you just say, hey, God, I'm scared because, I mean, I'm tired. Like, I am so daggum tired, Lord, because I'm discouraged, Father. I'm tired of being whatever. I'm discouraged. Just be vulnerable before him. He sees what's done in secret. And he knows what you need before you even ask. I used to think, and I was told this when I was a kid, and it, nobody was lying to me, but it's just so much more personal now that, you know, this, this idea of the gospel, the gospel is the good news. And I used to think, oh, that's a cool, you know, it's a, it's a great story. It's this, this good news story. But I've come to realize as I've gotten older that the gospel is not this story. The gospel is a person the person of Christ, and Christ is our good news. So why not tap into a meaningful, vulnerable relationship with this God who gave up everything for us? And I love that like some 3,500 years after Adam and Eve, like God made certain that he would never again be hidden from us when he gave us Christ. 
I mean, talk about making yourself available, right? The worship team is going to sing here in a moment. And I don't even desire that you sing with them. I mean, you can. I'm not going to stop you. But like, they're going to sing just over you. And they're not even going to have, not even going to put the words of the songs on the screen uh, for you to see. What I am going to put on the screen for you is Psalm 139. And I just want you to spend some time with God. I just want you to just, just read this and soak in this and just hang loose in it for a couple minutes and just have your own time. Well, I don't have any real like, like perfect, you know, compelling words for you other than it, it's just time. I think it's time that we make ourselves available to God with true intimacy, with true vulnerability. So if you're willing to do that, I'm going to give you a few minutes to do it. If you're not willing to do that, would you just pray, God, would you help me to, be, to get to that place? Either way, this time's for you and I'll be back up in just a moment.
So my wife and I have uh, had the same small group here for the last, uh, I don't know, like 11 years. It's been a while. Uh, and a handful of years back, uh, we invited a new family to our group. Someone had moved away and left, and we had a little space, and we invited a new family uh, to our group. And their names are Jim and Mia, and they have kids who are our kids as they age, and it just kind of, just be, kind of seemed to be a good a fit. And they were planning to come, and there had been this season of kind of anticipation for them to kind of dive in and get to know the group and, and get the you know, get the experience of being in a small group here at the church. Uh, but a couple days before uh, they were to come to that first meeting, Jim's brother, uh, they, uh, they lost him unexpectedly to a devastating just mess. And they were really broken. They were really crushed. They were really defeated. They were, I mean, they were absolutely destroyed over it. And I thought, well, yeah, they're not going to come now. I would understand why. But they came. And they came uh, kind of expecting and, and hoping they'd just kind of be able to hold, keep their composure and hold it together and not really let go of all this stuff in front of this new group of people. But something else happened that night when they got there. Uh, someone else in our group was also reeling and kind of devastated from a cancer diagnosis for their mom that same week. And so the night was already kind of emotionally charged. I mean, they were there and they were very sad and they were very broken. They were very scared. And our group just kind of, I mean, we didn't have anything really amazing to say to them other than we're here with you. And we kind of just spent the night just kind of crying and being uh, together. And what happened was after, after that took place, Jim kind of decided, well, I guess here we are. There's already this kind of emotional place. There's already this openness. There's already this vulnerability taking place. So I guess I'll just throw my junk out there too. So Jim started to share with the group how devastated that he and his wife were after he lost his brother that week. And by the way, it was kind of like, hey, we're Jim and we're Mia. Uh, Let me tell you about our lives. I mean, it was pretty extreme. And we all just spent the night crying. We spent the night sad. We spent the night hurting with each other and being with each other. And we also spent the night really encouraged. And Jim and Mia ended up leaving that night before they left. They said, so is every week like this? I said, no. No, we've met for years and years, and no weeks have been like this before uh, tonight. I don't think this will be the norm. But you know what happened that night? Because of authentic vulnerability with each other, you know what happened? My faith grew. And Jim and Mia's faith grew. And it's hard to articulate how or objectively give you like a measurement. I can't give any of that stuff, but I know that the Lord worked in that vulnerability that night. See, I think the Lord wants us to be open with each other. And listen, I'm not saying, hey, you true Christians will tell everybody every single thing. Like, I get it. We're not all those kinds of people. And I understand that. But what I am saying is the Lord desires intimacy between his children. And the Lord desires intimacy between him and his children. Both things are true. And here's the, here's the one biggest takeaway I have for you today. Relationships matter most. Relationships matter most. It's not Bible knowledge. It's not, you know, programming. It's not getting goosebumps when you come to church. It's not, hey, the band was awesome or the preacher was great or, you know, I, I had a good cup of coffee. Relationships are what matter most. I had the privilege of... of uh, listening to a, an 80-year-old guy a couple, a handful of weeks ago, Tara and I, uh, we volunteer at Young Life here in Topeka for Seaman, where our kids are. And it was just a chance for us to be involved in ministry that wasn't through our church and kind of do something together. 
And so we're a part of Young Life, and I had the privilege of, of hearing from this guy who is a big part of the leadership in Young Life for the last, like, 50 years. So he's 80 years old now, 79 or 80 years old, and he was uh, recalling a story, recalling a moment in his life where uh, his soon-to-be father-in-law, 50 years ago, when he got married, uh, gave him a piece of advice. And the advice that his father-in-law gave him was, hey, invest your life in eternal things. They identified for him what those two eternal things were. They were, one, your relationship with Jesus, and two, your relationship with Jesus' people. Because those are the people you'll be in eternity with, right? Invest your life in things that are eternal. We weren't designed to hide. We were designed to be in relationship. We have been clothed in Christ. That's good news. Let's pray. Father, you're good. And you know everything about us. You don't just know our name. I mean, you don't just know like the name that like our moms and our dads call us and the people we know in this life call us. God, you have called us beloved. That's our name. In the midst of our mess, in the midst of the things that cause us to want to hide, in the midst of the things that cause us not to want to get too close to people and not get Expose God, you know every single thing about us. You know the number of hairs on our head, God. You know the number of stars in the sky. You certainly know what's in my heart. You know us intimately, Father. And yet you love us. And it's mind-blowing to me, but you do. So today I pray for each person here. I pray that we would be people who are open We would be people who are honest. We would be people who are vulnerable before our maker today, knowing that you see us right where we are and you've never walked away from us, God. We have never walked a day in this earth alone. And we will never walk a day here alone. You see us where we are and you love us. You see us at our fullest and you love us the most. It's fascinating. God, for those that are hiding, like me, you help us to stop hiding and recognize we have been clothed in Christ. We have been covered by Christ today. And I pray that as we leave here today, we would commune with you. We would abide in you through your Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives. That we would live in the truth of the gospel that Jesus is for us, not against us. And we can be open with you, Father. Go before us. Guide our steps. Show us more of who you are and help us to show others more of who you are this week. It's in Jesus' name, the one who gave his life so that we could have it, that we pray here today. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys as you go. We'll see you next week.